welcome you to another episode of the MedTech Matters Podcast, where we learn about someone impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. Today we're speaking with Dr. Jesse Wheeler, Head of the MedTech and Analytics at Draper. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Wheeler. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to, to be invited. So, you know, first, uh, why don't you, uh, if you would, give a, a brief introduction uh, about Draper and, and what you do? Yeah, so Draper is a, a really a very different kind of company. Um, we're a nonprofit organization, uh, and we have a mission to develop and deploy advanced technologies to, to really address the world's most challenging and important problems. So um, to kind of explain this a little bit better, you know, often for-profit companies, they, they really need to remain focused on lower-risk innovation and product support. So it, it's often difficult for them to really develop truly disruptive technologies. And on the other side of the spectrum, um, you have like academic institutions, and they're often very um, capable in, in taking more chances and creating new technologies, but often they lack the, the resources, the quality management systems, the engineering rigor to advance those technologies all the way uh, to the level of maturity that's really required for a robust product. And so that's really where, where Draper comes in. Uh, Draper is unique because as a nonprofit, we have a lot of freedom to take chances on creating technologies that are high risk, but also high reward, and powered by nearly 2,000 staff, including engineers, physicists, biologists. Um, Draper also has the resources and expertise to mature those technologies into realizable solutions. So uh, again, as a nonprofit, um, Draper does not mass produce or sell products. Instead, um, we create next generation solutions and um, by licensing these technologies to trusted partners in industry, uh, we can then commercialize them and, and, and they can support the products um, that have Draper technologies inside. So that's kind of how Draper works. And as the head of MedTech and Analytics at Draper, I, I have the privilege of working with Draper's really amazing engineers and scientists to think about what these grand challenges are in medicine and, and kind of brainstorm new uh, uh, solutions that can address those challenges and, and then ultimately provide um, these advanced technologies to strategic partners in industry um, through licensing opportunities. So this isn't, this isn't limited to the med tech space. This is across, you know, virtually any industry. That's, that's right. So um, Draper has core business areas in aerospace, um, um, in, in bio, biomedical, um, also in uh, transportation and energy. Um, my focus, though, is, is on um, really on the medical devices. Now, do you only partner with companies on the commercial end or, or license, you know, whatever, fra whatever uh, official phrasing it is, you know, it's a licensing agreement, or could a company, say a startup, say, say a company with limited resources, uh, pitch, you know, bring you an idea, bring you a concept that you then – uh, develop if they worked out perhaps a licensing arrangement where it allowed you to hold the technology or I mean is that a con is that something that you do or is that not really within the scope no you're you're absolutely right you're, you're nailing it here so we work across that spectrum all the way from startups um, and typically for a startup they'll have an idea they may have some technology they may have worked through it a little bit they certainly uh, in most cases have some background IP 
Um, but they may not have all of the engineering resources. It's hard to pull together a team with a lot of expertise because at that stage you're looking for a lot of um, uh, smaller groups with multidisciplinary experience. So they come to Draper and um, often we will have background IP that they can license and leverage, or we can help um, work with them to really evolve the, the, the idea or concept that they have into something that, again, is, is realizable. Um, we also work on the other side of the spectrum where you have very large companies um, that, again, have background IP that they would bring to the table, a concept, or maybe a challenge. Maybe they're developing a system and they're, they're just really struggling with one aspect of it. And so we can provide consulting services or even develop their next generation product um, kind of hand in hand with, with their engineers. So, so really, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're kind of hired guns, but in the R, posing as R&D lab professional. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. That's great. I mean, that's, I mean, that's got to be fascinating, fascinating work, though. I mean, you, and you get to, you know, uh, work in a lot of different areas, a lot of different technologies. So uh, right now, though, I understand you're developing a, a non-contact sensor to replace traditional ECG technology. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how that works and why it could be a better alternative to what we have or the traditional, you know, methods of, of uh, or the traditional ECG technology we have? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with, with kind of the, the better-known challenges with ECG. Um, the, the first is that typical um, ECG systems, and, and actually pretty much any type of a bioamplifier system, so it could include neural uh, recording, muscle activity, things like that, um, they all require um, electrical contact with, with the body. And uh, we call those electrodes. So you're really measuring the difference in potential between two points. And um, the challenge with electrodes is that it needs to be conductive, so often they'll use conductive gels. The problem with gels is that they dry out over time, so there's a shelf life um, associated with the product. Um, the, the other problem with, with electrodes is that as the body sweats, it creates a, a change in capacitance. Uh, between the body and that electrode, which can cause what we call artifacts or kind of unwanted signals that, that kind of bleed into the, the signals that, that you care about. So that's the first problem is really with the electrodes themselves. The second problem you have, as I mentioned before, is you're measuring the difference in potential, electrical potential between two points, and that requires wires to connect the amplifier to both of those points. And if, if anyone's ever seen like a 12 lead ECG system or um, even like an EEG system, you have a, just a uh, kind of a, a mess of wires coming off the head or, or wrapped around the chest. And anytime those wires move, they again pick up what we call artifacts, motion artifacts, and they really encumber the, 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 the patient, right? So the 12 lead ECG um, is superior to a standard, you know, one or two lead ECG. Um, which would be across the arms, 12-lead ECG basically takes a number of different leads and wraps them around the chest. And the reason right. you want to do that is by wrapping it around the chest, you can sort of piece together a 3D picture of what's going on um, with the heart. Um, but again, that, that's not something that you would want to do outside of a, a, a clinical uh, setting. And it requires some specialized training to be able to place them accurately. In fact, if they aren't placed accurately, it can really affect uh, the analysis afterwards. So 
again, just to summarize that, electrodes and leads are a problem. So what we did is we said, well, is there a way that we could pick up signals that wouldn't involve electrodes, wouldn't have to be in direct contact with the body, wouldn't need wires to measure the difference between these two different points? And that's where we came up with this idea of, of an e-field sensor. And this technology is based on other technologies that we've developed at Draper. And, and again, this is kind of a, a nice thing about Drapers. We work in so many different areas. We find a lot of opportunities to take ideas from one area and apply it into a new area. And so what we did here is we, we took some um, core competencies that we have in MEM sensor design, and, and we basically made something that's very similar to a compass. So you, you can imagine a teeter-totter, right, that can pivot back and forth. And if you put in the center of that teeter-totter um, a charge, we call this like a, a charged electrical dipole, it's a permanent dipole. And what will happen is if an electric field is present, that teeter-totter will rotate, and we can measure the direction of that field. Um, and, and this, again, works very much like a, a compass. So if you think about um, measuring the Earth's magnetic field, you have a compass, and you see that the needle, which has a permanent magnetic dipole, a magnet, it will align with that magnetic field. And um, you don't, of course, need to have the, the compass touching the Earth for it to work because that field from the Earth propagates out of the Earth and, and back around. So you don't need to be in direct contact. And similarly, with the um, e-field sensor, you don't need to be in direct contact with the body. So not only are we able to solve these big challenges with electrodes and leads, but we're also able to measure the electric field itself. Um, the voltages that people typically pick up in ECG are really kind of like a shadow. It's a projection of that electric field along uh, a one-dimensional line. And so that's okay. the kind of signal that people are typically picking up. Here we have the opportunity to directly measure what we consider to be that hidden electric field um, that, that you typically don't, don't pick up. Um, so instead of having to have leads all the way around the body, to get an approximation of that three-dimensional activity, we can directly measure it. And again, without ever making direct contact with the body and without wires all over the place, the sensor itself is only a couple millimeters um, on a side. So we really think that this is a, an exciting technology. It's a game-changing technology um, that can be applied not only for cardiac signals, but neural signals and other muscle activities throughout the body. So, so if, if it doesn't require that, that wrap of sensors that you, you mentioned and as, as a result doesn't require, uh, you know, a high level of training to, to perform that, that placement, uh, is this a technology that could be used outside of the, outside of the hospital in, in other areas? Absolutely. And, and that's where we see um, or we anticipate that there's going to be a, a lot of value um, from the sensor. Um, because you eliminate the electrodes and leads, you make the sensor far more mobile. So think about applications where people are on the move. Um, first responders, for instance, um, as right. you're moving a patient in an uh, ambulance, it's difficult to get these leads placed all over, but you could potentially, with a single sensor right over the, the skin, um, get that 3D information from the heart that will give you an idea of what's going on if you have you know, atrial fibrillation or, or something else. Um, another way that this can be used on the move is, is with athletes. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, athletes um, 
um, are, are challenged with enlarged hearts. It's hard to detect that. You can do stress tests. Um, but again, these stress tests are difficult to implement when the athlete is actually doing um, or performing the, the, the work that they do. Uh, instead, right. you have to kind of move them into a controlled setting. What if you could actually just stick on a tiny patch on, on a football player, send them out into the field, and measure um, really high-fidelity 3D information from the heart as they're actually in the game? You know? uh, so I, I think that there's a lot of applications, first responders, athletes, of course, soldiers, and also just people on the go. Um, there, there's a big trend towards mobile health monitoring. Um, we think that this sensor, um, imagine it, for, for instance, in, in an Apple Watch, you know, uh, just throwing out a, an example there. Um, there. There's a lot of things, uh, a lot of applications, we think, for the sensor, especially on the move. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you mentioned the, the sports applications. It's, it's interesting when you start talking about, you know, college or, or, or the professional leagues, especially things like football or basketball, where you hear, you know, it, it doesn't happen all the time, but you do hear about these stories where, you know, an athlete just collapses on the field or, you know, something happened, there was a heart issue that was never detected. And, you know, it, it likely goes back to that fact that they can't test during their actual performance uh, routine. So it's, you know, something like this, you know, the NFL can certainly afford to put one of these on every player. Um, you know, that, that wouldn't be an issue. Obviously when you get to college, high school, things like that, it, it starts becoming a little bit of a cost, uh, issue or would be with your commercial partner, uh, whoever that would be. Um, well, you bring a good, but you bring I, up a good point, which is the, the cost. Um, one of the great things about this sensor is that it leverages MEMS technologies. Draper, um, has, has a history in, in developing MEMS sensors. We developed the first MEMS gyroscope that's in a lot of products that, that you would use today. Um, and because of, of the way they're manufactured, um, they can be um, built um, at very low cost in very high quantities. So this sensor um, could be very, very cheap. So um, it's something that you wouldn't have to rely on, you know, large organizations like the NFL uh, to be able to afford this type of, of, of testing. But it's something that could be very, very cheap that anyone could afford. And when you have that scenario, why wouldn't you use it? Why wouldn't you have it out and, and, and uh, using it in, in these kind of precautionary ways? Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and it gets into a different area for the, for the manufacturer, but I'm wondering if something like this, again, using football as the example, if something like this could be built into, like, the helmet where that's the way you attach it. Obviously, the helmet never, you know, you, you could say it, it goes into a pad or something. There's a chance a player runs on the field without a certain pad, but the helmet's never, they're never playing without the helmet. So if you had it in the helmet, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm starting to, I, I don't want to, you know, give, give ideas away to these companies that, uh, you know, <laughs> They're, I'm sure they could come up with their own applications and, and have a better understanding of how the, how the technology works. But it just gets my mind going, so I can only imagine what a potential commercial partner, you know, how their mind would start, start operating. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really exciting. And, and even hearing you kind of uh, brainstorm different applications here, I mean, we've we got to bring you into Draper, and we can all sit around a table and come up with really wild ideas on, on how the sensor can be used. Be a lot of fun. Hey, when, when we're, I, I don't know your specific locations, but uh, when, when, you know, this, when hopefully this COVID thing, the, the uh, you know, we've got a, an anecdote or I, uh, a, a, um, I'm forgetting the phrasing. Uh, 
the vaccine. Um, so hopefully yeah. six months, 12 months, we're all back to normal. I, I would certainly take you up on a visit. That, that's for sure. Um, You're always welcome. Appreciate that. Um, so let me ask this. What are the obstacles remaining with this specific technology to getting it out to market, getting it to the NFL, getting it, you know, to hospitals or, or EMTs? What, what obstacles remain to, to doing that? Yeah, so um, the next step for the technology is to really optimize the sensor, um, um, the sensor design for human use. So we're, we're very excited about the uh, performance of the sensor so, fo- so far. Um, what we've been able to show is, is that we're probably about one design iteration away from having the, the noise performance that's going to give us really reliable signals out in the field. And, you know, one of the things that we have to take into account is, you know, making sure that the, the sensor will be immune to other types of electrical noise that's in the environment. So thinking about, like, um, radios that may be nearby, cell phones that we use every day. Um, and those are all things that we need to account for in the design, so we need to do some uh, optimization. The other part of that is, is of course, for any uh, medical purposes here, uh, it, the, the, the sensor and any product that, that includes it would need to be approved by the FDA. So there's a regulatory pathway that, that we need to, to go down, and, and I foresee doing that with, with a commercial partner um, that has a very specific uh, use in mind. So, and that brings up really the last step, which is, you know, that we're currently exploring licensing opportunities and industry partners who could commercialize the technology and, and support products that, that people could use in their everyday life. So um, th- this is really a, a very exciting time, um, and I'm very optimistic about the benefit that the technology will, will bring in the near future. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely sounds interesting. So just to clarify, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put this through to the FDA because it wouldn't be – you know, you've developed a sensor, basically. You haven't developed, and you're not developing a finished product. You would only do that in conjunction with a commercial partner who would, you know, if it was just a, a medical device manufacturer, they would make it into a device, and, and, you know, their traditional design development stages include the regulatory pathway. Um, but you yourself, Draper, wouldn't submit it to FDA. Yeah, so it, it kind of depends on, on the case, um, but, but what I in, would anticipate for, for this particular technology is, is that it, it would go through the FDA um, um, supported by the commercial partner, because really um, the sensor in of itself is, is, is kind of an enabling technology, but there's a system that goes around it. And when you think about the safety of a product, it's really that system level testing and the risk management that goes along with it that, that's really important in, in kind of navigating through all of the um, uh, requirements that, would be, that, that are needed for, for FDA approval. So it really makes sense to do that um, in partnership with a commercial partner, um, keeping right. in mind the, the product that they envision um, selling and supporting. And what what uh how far out does Draper's uh you know support uh continue? Let's let's go back to the NFL example. Let's say the NFL you know took on this technology, put it into the helmets, and found that there was a problem when you know when when there was the collision. You know, I, I'm just mm-hmm. throwing it out there. Uh, would could they come back to you and say, hey, you know, we, we need some further tweaking because we're getting a problem when, when you know, there's a tackle and the, and the helmet gets jarred in this way. 
we're seeing a problem. Can they, do they continue to use you because of the licensing agreement, or is there a point at which Draper drops out? Well, it, yeah, so um, we are always available, obviously, for, for any technology that, that, one, that we've created, and, and two, also for support of other technologies that maybe we haven't created um, that maybe are, are seeing some challenges. We, we provide consulting services to, to folks to, to look at how, how certain designs could be improved. Um, in, in the case that you're describing, what I would imagine is that there would likely be an, an intermediate uh, commercial company that would make a product that would be purchased by the NFL. Um, right. Obviously, I, I'd be uh, very open to the NFL reaching out if, if you're listening. <laughs> um, go, go Chiefs. <laughs> good. Yeah, you, you, you finally have a good time Jets fan, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut off all NFL talk. <laughs> all right. Um, but uh, but and and unfortunately, I do have to actually cut off the uh, the discussion. But that, it's been a fantastic uh, talk with Dr. Jesse Wheeler of of Draper. Appreciate all the insights and uh, you know a look at this ECG technology, uh, non-contact ECG technology, which is obviously the critical uh, differentiator. Um, and to the listeners out there, just like to say, uh, as always, this has been Sean Fenske for MPO. Thanks for listening. <laughs>